It's the Rush Fancast. Jerry and Steve with you as always. What's up, Jer? Not much, Mr. Steve. What's up with you? Not much. You can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast, Instagram, we are the Rushcast. Email Jerry, the Rushcast at gmail.com. The bass intro, you know who it is, Jer. Is it Lex? It's Lex. He did another great job. Yep. And we got right into it today, Jer, because we've got another great guest today on the podcast. But before we get to that, yes, I've got a Twitter poll for you. Are you ready? I do. Well, you know, I love Twitter polls. And this Twitter poll, I decided to just do something off the cuff. This has nothing to do with anything we talked about on the podcast. Just something I came up with on Twitter one day, and I present it to you. Are you ready? Is it, is it about the Brady Bunch, by any chance? It is not. Oh. So Rush performed with many opening bands in their career, Jer. Who was your favorite Rush opening band? I already know the answer. I gave four choices. Go ahead, let's hear them. Max Webster, Primus, Marillion, or Mr. Big? And I offered... A write-in? A write-in. What do you think? Well, I'm just going to go with... I don't know what the the rest of the universe thinks, but my favorite opening band, without a doubt, Primus. Primus is the winner, 35%. They were so good, weren't they? Oh, yeah. They were great. They were great. Yeah. Marillion came in second at 28%. Prog rock fans love Marillion. That they do. I'm not a big fan. Either am I. Max Webster came in third, 24%. A lot of the 70s Rush guys went with Max Webster. Yep. And Mr. Big came in fourth at 14%, as you, as you would imagine. We got some write-ins for some others. Like what? Eric Johnson was a big one. Okay. A lot of people uh, said Tommy Shaw. You recall we saw him open we for Rush. We did see him. He did a lot of stick songs, which I think helped his voting. Probably, yeah. Okay, yeah. I'll buy that. Cheap Trick, Steve Morse, 38 Special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they opened for Rush. People like bands. Any votes for Candlebox? Yeah, a couple of votes for Candlebox, too. Really? Yeah, yeah. People like Candlebox. Yeah, they sure do. So, uh, Jerry, you got an email for me. I do. Love it. Okay. This is from Professor Carl Qualls. Wow, Professor. Yeah. Nice. He is the John B. Parsons Chair in Liberal Arts and Sciences, Professor of History at Dickinson College. That is great. I love that smart people are listening to our podcast. Right. Smart people listening to dumb people. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, you just ruined. I was going to (laughs) be... I was just going to announce a new podcast starring me and you, and that's what it was going to be called. Smart people listening to dumb people. Way to spoil things for me, Steve. All right. Well, thanks for writing in, Professor. Let's hear it, Jer. Okay. So this was about our Grace Under Pressure podcast. He says, thanks for another great episode. Rush has been my favorite band since I was nine years old in 1980. So now we know how old he is if you want to do the math. Initially, it was the music, but then the lyrics grabbed me, particularly with the social commentary and humanism that Neil encapsulated with his words. By 14, I was able to camp out overnight with my brother, waiting in line for my first concert tickets. My son saw his first show in 2007, and 30 years after my first show, at least one show each tour, my eight-year-old daughter saw her first show in Philadelphia at the farewell tour. To say I am a rabid fan is an understatement. So he had indoctrinated 
his children into Rush at a very young age. I wish I had done the same. I didn't. For the last two decades, I have been teaching college students about the Holocaust and mass atrocities. Your description of Red Sector A on this week's podcast as a reference to Getty's parents' experiences in the Holocaust is accurate, but you missed the connection to Alex. Of course we did, because we're dumb people. As you noted, Neil said the song was about atrocities broadly in World War II. Um, and then he uses Alex's real name, which I can never pronounce. Do you know how to pronounce Alex's? I have no idea. It begins with a Z. It does. I'm not going to try to pronounce it, so I'm just going to say Alex Lyson is, of course, the son of Serbian immigrants who would have lived through a period of concentration camps and mass killings, particularly between Serbs and Croats during World War II in Yugoslavia. The lyrics of Red Sector A beautifully capture this horror, too. I first listened to your podcast after Neil's death, when we were all looking for meaning, comfort, and community. I haven't missed an episode since. Yours in Rush Fanaticism, Professor Carl Qualls. Wow. Thanks so much, Professor Carl. I really appreciate that. That is, yeah. that is great. And, and I'm serious. I do love that smart people are listening to the podcast. Yeah, of course. I don't think we're dumb, but we're just, we're not nearly as smart as Professor Carl. That's all. Well, yeah, I'm sure if he's teaching, he must have been laughing as, as his his historical butt off listening to us talk about <laughs> the <laughs> world war two. He must've been like, Oh God, these guys don't know what they're talking about. These guys don't know their, I can't even name two, two. I was going to say they're, I don't know, two countries from another country. <laughs> it would have been a great joke. Next time we talk about something historical, maybe we can uh, get the professor on to help us out. Let's, let's see if he'll do that. Yeah. So Jerry, we've got a great guest on the podcast today. This is someone I've been wanting to have on the podcast for a long time. Yeah. Someone we've been, we've been talking about for a long time, right? We've been talking about his work. He's a contributing editor at spin magazine. You can also see his work at billboard magazine, rolling stone, paste relics and ultimate classic rock. Ryan Reed. Welcome to the rush Fancast. Thank you guys so much. Pleasure to be here. And we'd like to start out by asking our guests, their Rush origin story. When did you first hear Rush and how did you become a fan? Oh, geez, this is going, I was really, really little at the time. I mean, I was always a classic rock fan since I was first listening to music in elementary school. But I have, I guess at the time, my best friend growing up and still a very close friend, Charlie, his dad, and I'll name drop him, uh, Donnie Witt, in case he does listen to this, he is an enormous Rush fan. And he single-handedly, probably without him, who knows when I would have discovered Rush, but I was probably seven or eight years old, and he knew I was just obsessed with rock music. And so he would do this hilarious and probably annoying to Charlie, my friend, probably was annoying for him, but he would sort of grab me when I would come over to their house and just pull me aside and sit me down on the couch and play you know, whatever DVDs he had or, or CDs and just kind of make me listen because he knew I liked some of the stuff. I remember him playing me. Now I don't remember which Rush DVD it was. He, he sort of sat me on the couch and made me watch the full thing. I remember Charlie, my friend, just running around me like, I guess I'm just going to go do something else now because <laughs> I just hated Rush. And he's like, now you're friends with my dad. 
Yeah, yeah. And so that was really <laughs> funny too because we had this other relationship where we bonded over Prague. So we used to listen to all kinds of Prague rock together. And But yeah, he got me into them and I remember him giving me some burned CD copies of, of albums and from there it just naturally organically grew. I just started buying all the albums and yeah, then and that leads us to today. Now they're one of my favorite bands. So tell us a little bit about your background, Ryan. How did you get into rock journalism? Well, I, I wanted to do this since I was probably 13 years old, just reading copies of Rolling Stone and, and Spin. And, and so I always knew I wanted to do it. I even remember being, I think it was 16 or so in high school, and we had to do this little thing where we'd write a letter to our future selves. And I remember writing that I was actually really writing to our past selves and I was writing as a Rolling Stone music critic. I wrote that down. So that, that's always what I wanted to be. And so just as soon as I got out of college, I decided to just give it a shot. I didn't really know what I wanted to do after college. I majored in English. I knew I liked to write and I was pretty good at that. And I knew I loved music. I didn't know how to do both of those things unless it was you know, rock criticism. That was pretty much the only option to put those two things together. So I decided to, yeah, give it a shot. And I started you know, at first just contributing anywhere I could get a clip. At the beginning, it was just doing things for free and just kind of building my resume. And then just, yeah, over, I guess I've been doing it now about 12 years. So yeah, just kind of building my, my clips and moving on to new places and sort of yeah, getting, getting more work and more work. Cause it's a, that's a weird time to be a music journalist. That's for sure. With all the changes. So definitely have to be passionate about it. Otherwise it's uh, not a smart <laughs> career move. That's for sure. Especially with all the, well, with no concerts happening. Yeah. Yeah. This is a, a weird, weird time and I'm mourning that still. It's very weird, but yeah. So we need to come clean about something, Ryan. When we first became aware of your work, it was through the list that you posted on ultimate classic rock of 167 rush songs ranked. Yes. And when we first saw it, we were not happy about a lot of the, the items on your list. And we did talk about it on the podcast, but since we've come to realize that what you did there was a really, really difficult job. Why did you decide to make this list? Well, it was, I can't remember if I pitched this story or if my editor asked me to write it, but I, I'm sort of, I mean, there are other contributors who like Rush at Ultimate Classic Rock, but as part of the kind of main staple of people the last few years, I've become the Rush guy, I guess, really the, the prog guy, anything that's, Genesis, yes, Rush, to some extent Pink Floyd. I even have done some I guess, weirder prog things. I sort of try to get Gentle Giant on the side as much as I can. When they wanted to list, again, I can't remember if I pitched this since they had already started the series of ranking the song. Uh, I don't remember if I pitched it or if they asked me, but it was kind of inevitable at some point I was going to write that, that list just because I had already written so many Rush things, and yeah, it just seemed like a natural thing to do even though when i agreed to do it and then started the process i went oh god what did i just agree to do because this is going to be really hard and very painstaking and it's going to be really strange ranking comparing different eras of rush that was such a hard thing to do but yeah i soldiered through it there was a couple almost sleepless nights there at the end where i was working to my wife's extreme annoyance blasting a lot of rush at the house and 
and not sleeping a lot. But got it done, and now I get to get made fun of by people all over the internet. So it was, it was well worth it. <laughs> well, when Steve and I start talking about the list, the first thing we thought of is, well, we should do it, right? Yeah. Like if we disagree with these rankings, let's give it a shot ourselves. And we quickly found out that it is nearly impossible because I just listed all of the songs. I probably just took them from, your, from the site. Yeah. And about 80 songs right off the bat. I love these songs. Yeah. yeah. And then at the end, there's like 20 songs I don't really care too much for. Yeah. So that leaves a large swath in the middle. How did you go about making the, the list in general? I mean, especially the stuff in the middle. How do you differentiate between those kinds of songs? Yeah, I underestimated, honestly, how hard it was going to be. Because I've done a lot of lists uh, just for other sites and just as part of my career, but never one of this size. And so when I actually started getting in the weeds with it, I was like, oh, man, how do I actually physically go about it for one? Because it's there are songs that I haven't heard in a long time. So it's not like just muscle memory where you're like, oh, yeah, of course, this one's ahead of this one. Like, I got to really go back and listen hardcore and compare and then by the time you're comparing this versus this, you've kind of forgotten, wait a minute, this is such a like minute difference of me liking this. So my first approach was I'm going to listen in chronological order to everything, and I'm going to make little notes in a Word document and give them sort of vague scores, like one through 10, and just sort of have that as a just a baseline. And then obviously there are like the top 30 or so I've had a, pretty solid idea of what those are going to be. But then, yeah, it just got, at a certain point I had to go back and like, okay, which ones were sort of in the seven or eight range? Okay. And now let's kind of pit those against each other and see how do I feel about those? So that was sort of how I did it. And at a certain point it is like you second guess it completely. Even I was looking back at the list uh, the other day and I was like, man, I, st I don't even know if I would rank these the same way now. It's so hard. Yeah, when you get into those middle, that middle territory, because yeah, the, the top 40, 50, maybe, you know, you can play around with the ranking, but you know those are going to be where they're going to be. And then the bottom, for me, there are a few albums that I just, I do not like a whole lot. We could tell. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen a lot of people roast me for that online, which is fine. An editor friend of mine also kind of broke my balls on that too, but that's okay. I had to be honest. That was the thing. It's also like, if you're going to do this, how do you go about it? Are you going to be completely honest? That's how I went about it. I was like, I'm just going to, this is my ranking. No one interfered with it. It wasn't like the editors went back and reviewed it and said, you know what? We got to move this one up. Like they trusted me as the, the rush fan. Uh, Cause my main, one of my the main editors of the site is just, he just does not like Rush. He just sort of defers to the other people who like them better on, in terms of this kind of thing. But yeah, that's where we, that's where we ended up. But probably if I were to do it again today, there would be slight differences. Yeah. Probably in that middle section, that is the hard part of it. Cause like, I know I hate the, or not hate, I don't hate any Rush song, even the ones that are like even 167. I don't hate, but like clearly for me, the weakest of the bunch. And these are clearly the best. It's those, yeah, it's those middle ones. I could probably make the list 10 different times and it'd be slightly different every time. What I think people have to realize is that this is one man's opinion. Yeah. Oh yeah. And if I were to make the list, I'm going to have to take 30 songs and put them at the bottom too. Oh yeah. Right. Even, even if I love every Rush song, I've got to rank 
one song, number 167. And what song is that? Yeah, that's the thing that always makes me laugh. I've learned to not actually get offended anymore, but it cracks me up when people like, if you're reading the, the Rush list, you also are a Rush fan. So we should be like celebrating it together. Instead, it's like <laughs> lists, I think, sometimes end up bringing out this negative reaction when we should just be like, oh, you also love this thing and I love it. And it's kind of a, it's not a super mainstream thing in a way. We should all be like, oh, cool. You even took the time to rank all these songs. I can, I was a little snarky, I'm sure, in some of my, in some of my blurbs. So I can understand somebody having an <laughs> issue with that. But, <laughs> but still, I just, I, I love when people, I just love lists in general, even lists where I don't agree at all. If I like the writing and I just respect how they went about it, then I'm like, that's fine. We all got different opinions. At the end of the day, if we're all Rush fans, then we should celebrate everybody's ranking. I know that probably nine out of 10 people would say, like, I, I do not like 2112 as much as pretty much anybody who's a Rush fan. I don't know. I just never clicked a whole lot with that album, even though I've listened to it a million times. And I, I, everybody's like, it's the, it's the best one. I'm like, I would take Farewell to Kings, Hemispheres, over that album but i know everybody roasted me for that like the throw this list out it's garbage he has 2112 that i don't know what ranking i had that song but there's so many things that yeah people just i know they don't they don't respect me as soon as they see the, the <laughs> probably instantly so well we get a lot of emails and comments on our socials or whatever um whenever we dissect an album and you'd be surprised at how many people their favorite album is Roll the Bones. Oh, man. I just. Their favorite album is Roll the Bones. Again, it doesn't really matter to me that their favorite album is Roll the Bones, but it might be my least favorite album. So. It's, that's to me. And again, I'm probably, I sound like a hypocrite because I groaned, but I'm just happy they like <laughs> it all. If you like Rush, yeah. you won in my book. Like, that's, even if that's the album you pick. Actually, one of my editors who's a huge Rush, I'm pretty sure that was the album. Or was it Counterparts? One of those two is like he worships that album. Like, dude, really? Like that? That's the one. He's like, oh, it's. I think it's a nostalgic thing because I think that's how he got into Rush. Yeah. So maybe that's maybe that's the reason. But so I think every. I think it's like your entry point too probably plays a huge factor into into how you'd rank some of this. But that's absolutely true. If you love Rush, then. You would think that the opinions would be somewhat more consistent, but it's like, yeah, there are people who love Roll the Bones. And to me, that's like, I, I just, yeah, anything with Getty rapping on it. <laughs> well, that radically, <laughs> I don't, I don't care what else is on the album. That's going to be toward the bottom of this. But yeah, when we talked about that album, I had issue. I remember when it came out, I really liked it, you know, but I was, I was, when did it come out, Steve? 90? 1991. You were in college. 91. So you were 22 years old. Yeah. But I was what, four or five years into my rush fandom. Mm -hmm. So I was just eating it up. Oh yeah. Anything. It's a new album. Give it to me. Yeah. Yeah. So Ryan, my favorite line from you on roll the bones on dreamline, you said easily the best song on roll the bones, which is like saying the best cabin on the Titanic. <laughs> oh man. That's harsh. <laughs> oh man. I'm cringing about, oh, that was, I kind of like it. I'm not going to lie. I don't think <laughs> that is, that is stupendously hilarious. That is amazing. I feel a little bit. I'm sorry, Getty. 
my hero, but here's a couple others. On Peaceable Kingdom, you said it was a ragged red hot chili peppers. Ooh. The big wheel you called Mike and the Mechanics. That one I agree with, though. That one I agree with. I, I, I'm not a big wheel fan either. Uh, in Superconductor, you said Highway to the Danger Zone. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you compared that to Kenny Loggins. Uh, oh. <laughs> even even Ryan's laughing. I'm a serious Rush fan, and it doesn't bother me. I, I think that's hilarious. I think those descriptions are hilarious. The whole thing was, you know, the whole list is, I couldn't write something on 80% of the songs. So kudos to you for that. I, I appreciate it. I, as long as people can, can tear me apart. That's what I love about lists is we can disagree and we can go, Oh, why? What is wrong with this? person? As long as there's like a, a baseline of everybody's got their own opinion, as long as we can disagree civilly, then I feel like let's, let's do it. It's fun. It's fun to, to disagree with each other. It is. I agree. What you said about entry points, Ryan, I think is so true because Jerry and I, our entry point was power windows mm. and hold your fire came out right as we became rush fans. And we love hold your fire. Yeah. And when we were talking about hold your fire, that's when we brought up your list Yeah, because you had seven songs from hold your fire way down on your list. Wow. Did I? Yeah. And the one that you had really high was prime mover. And I'm wondering why. Why does that song stand out on Hold Your Fire over all the rest that you, you didn't like? This is a terrible answer, but I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't listen to Hold Your Fire very often, and it's definitely one of my least favorite Rush albums. So when I put that together, for me, it was like a few of these albums, like I had not listened to this. Like I own them. I have the CDs or whatever, but it's like I, I got to own them. But I had not listened to them in so long, so it was like, almost listening to it for the, for the first time for me with some of these albums. I cannot tell you why I would have, it shocks me a little bit that I would have had so many solo because I, I don't, I don't feel like I hate that album. I feel like it's kind of like a, eh, for me, I don't know. I'd have to go back and listen to, to prime mover again to see what, why that one would stand out so much. But I mean, time stands still for me as a, a classic. I just, I feel like that. I don't know where I put that. I did. I have the list over here. I need to actually reference it. A couple more toward the bottom that stood out. Resist, you had at number 152. And I wonder if you took the live version of Resist into account, would it have been higher on your list? Did you see Rush do Resist live? No, I didn't. Yeah, because on the record, it's kind of a weak song. But when they did it live, it was just Getty and Alex. And they're both playing acoustic guitars. And it was a, a new song, a beautiful song. I, I don't doubt for a second because I never got to see Rush live. Every time I had the opportunity, something was going on or I didn't want to pay the ticket price. So I never, I hate to admit that, but I never got to see them. And uh, anything on Test for Echo for me, I'm looking, oh my God, I really did. I have three straight Test for Echo songs <laughs> in the 150 range. I just don't like that album. It's just, I mean, I hate to say that I don't like any Rush album. Just point blank but yeah just pretty much the the self-titled album on a lot of vapor trails but not the whole thing roll the bones test for echo it's yeah a lot of the 90s stuff for me i feel like there's a sweet spot for me with, with rush and it's pretty much like 
starting with the Farewell to Kings and then going through, I guess, Power Windows. To me, that's like the kind of epicenter of, of what I love about them. Like, it has everything. And th- those are the albums that I listen to on a you know, consistent basis. It's almost like for me that the other stuff, that's where I had to go back. And, and actually, I, I should say that I don't want to ignore Caress of Steel as well, because actually that one I feel like I probably overrate it because I really like it. And I think critically, it's probably not as good as I think it is, but I still, I still love that album as well. Uh, and, and then Clockwork Angels as well. I actually love that album. But yeah, that kind of sweet spot for me of that, I guess, like eight-year period that's what like 90% of the rush I listened to is from that, from that time. So a lot of this stuff, it's like, even now referencing some of those songs from, from like Tess for Echo is like, I don't even remember what that song sounds like. I felt the same way when we were discussing Tess for Echo. Cause it, it didn't really make an impression upon me when I first came out. And so listening to it was like listening to it for the first time. So I, I appreciated a lot of it. Some of it I didn't really care for, but I feel like a lot of, that 90s stuff just sounds kind of like, I know that they're not going through the motions on that stuff. I don't want to say it like that because they put so much heart into all their stuff, but that's what it like. It sort of sounds just like another kind of rush rock song. Like a lot of it just doesn't grab me and, and do anything new for me that, that I haven't already heard them do a few years before. I feel like they got into sort of that, that zone in the 90s, which is kind of, Nothing leaps out about it to me. It's all like fine. I wouldn't even say I strongly dislike, except for like the very, very bottom of the list. There's some, some definitely some doozies on there, but a lot of it to me is just kind of like, and that, it's just like comparing Rush against itself, man. Like if we're comparing some of these Test for Echo songs against 90% of the rest of recorded music, that's different. But that's why, like, yeah, I don't know. I want to well, see that- some of the people who are angry at me put the list together and then. You can't put them all tied at number one. Right. <laughs> That's what Steve wants to do. Every time we're talking about a song, he's like, this one's going at number one. It's like, no, it isn't, Steve, man. It's going to be 1A through Z for Steve. But, you know, I think you're right because Rush, well, they have so many albums, so many styles, so many periods. It, how do you compare Tests for Echo against, you know, Hemispheres? Yeah. Basically two different bands. The only way I could justify it to myself is to think straight up, I'm giving this like a number grade. Like I actually have to be that specific with it. How does it move me personally? Like what is the one through 10 number here? And then I go back and I have to, if these are both 7.5, how do I narrow that down? So it's, you know, obviously the list could change. And probably, like I said, if I did the list again today, Maybe the Test for Echo song, like, actually, I was a little harsh on that. This is not, this is not a 154, this is a 148. Yeah. I was slightly too hard on it. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's such a, it was such a tough thing to do. I really, I legitimately, the last night before this was due, I did not sleep. I was up cranking stuff from Test for Echo in my living room at like four in the morning. Like about to pull my hair out trying to meet this deadline. If my editor hears this, I, I apologize that I was coming so close. <laughs> so let's talk about the top of the list, Ryan. Yeah. You picked Tom Sawyer number one. Yeah. And Jerry and I are on board with this. Yeah. And a lot of people say they're sick of Tom Sawyer and it's overplayed. 
How do you feel about that? Do you ever get sick of hearing Tom Sawyer? No, never. I really don't. And there's a lot of classic rock songs that I, I, I probably forever will be tired of them. But that song, I don't know. Maybe it's because for me it hasn't been super overplayed because for whatever reason I don't hear it constantly on the radio like I do whatever, Stairway to Heaven or something. But no, I just, I've never once not like beat the shit out of my car steering wheel playing air drums <laughs> to Tom Sawyer when that comes in the right. Like, yeah, I, I just, that will never not be a perfect song for me. And pretty much the entire Moving Pictures album to me is just, it's just flawless. It's one of the rare perfect albums for me. And um, I don't know how you, I hated almost to pick it in a way as number one because I knew they were going to be, oh, he really picks the most obvious song, Tom Sawyer, really, you're not even a fan because you picked, like, I could already see all that coming. I was like, how do I, if I don't pick it, I'm not picking it to try to be cool or something. And, like, for me, the only reason to not pick it would be if I really legitimately thought it shouldn't be number one. I just, I feel like it checks every box. It's musically, it's amazing. It clearly, it resonates even beyond Rush fans, which is something that's worth considering. Like it is one of the few Rush songs that my wife can hear in the car. And she's like, I like this. This is actually catchy. This is good. It's just the perfect song. I don't see how you can not put it. I mean, you could make an argument, obviously, for a bunch of songs. But if it's the most popular, and to me, it's it's one of the very best, that, that seems like that's a combo that you consider at number one. I totally agree. But we, I've gotten emails from people saying the same thing to me that, Tom Sawyer overplayed and because it's popular somehow it drops in a true fan's estimation. I don't agree with that. I mean, I could see why it would drop on somebody's personal list if they were just doing my current favorite songs or whatever, but, and obviously this is a subjective thing. All lists are subjective, but I'm trying to not think about how many times I've heard it. Just go in as fresh as I possibly can and just say, how good is this song? Just straight up. And then you got to, again, you factor in the, the other element of how it resonates, too. It's like that combo. You can't, you can't escape that. I mean, I, I could potentially have seen, I don't know why, even though I have Limelight at two, I can't see it being number one. I agree with top 10. Your top 10 is it's pretty close to what my top 10 would be. That's good to hear. That's honestly hard, though. <laughs> I'm looking at it again now, I'm like, Really? I would have maybe put subdivisions higher than I like that should have maybe been top five. Now I'm looking at it. I love subdivisions. Oh I know. But yeah, the top I'm looking at this now. I'm sure people gave me a lot of shit over New World Man being so high, but maybe we, we should read off the, the top ten since uh, we're looking at it and no one else is. So you so you've got Tom Sawyer at number one, Limelight at number two, Red Barchetta at number three, Farewell to Kings at number four. Xanadu at number five. I agree with that too. Closer to the Heart at number six. La Villa Strangiato, which a lot of Rush fans have at their number one. You've got it at seven. Vital Signs eight, Subdivisions nine, and New World Man ten. That's a pretty good top ten. Yeah, I'm looking back now. now. I don't know how I might move a couple things slightly, but I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know, like maybe I would have put Closer to the Heart a little, maybe I, maybe Strangio should be ahead of Closer to the Heart. I don't know. <laughs> one of the things. 
number one for strategy out of that? I don't know about that. For me, that's definitely an incredible piece of music, but I don't know, man. And Limelight to me is just such a poignant song. The lyrics on that song are just, ugh, just to me, it's one of Peart's best lyrics. It's just, I don't know. So I got, I probably would keep that at number two, but I just, it, I try to rationalize not putting Tom Sawyer at number one. I can't find a reason to not put it there. For me, it's just like, yeah. it's the old, it's like one of the greatest rock songs of all time. I just don't see how you can't put it there. I could see why somebody would say it's overplayed. It's, it doesn't resonate with me as much anymore. So it's not, um, I can't justify putting it there, but, but with this combo of trying to be, being subjective, but also trying to see slightly from a broader perspective, I just puts it over the top. I just can't not put it there. So you've got Tom Sawyer, Limelight, and Red Barchetta, one, two, three. Yeah. How would you rank side one of moving pictures? Is that one of the greatest album sides in rock and roll history as far as you're concerned? Absolutely. I don't see how it can't be. It's just one after the other. Oh, man, just with YYZ in there as well. Like you could even argue that YYZ should have, I may have, should have put that higher. Uh, it's just, it's perfect. It's literally, there's not a single second of that whole side of music, side of music that I would change or that production wise is perfect. The playing is perfect. The lyrics, when there are lyrics, incredible. Yeah. I mean the, the whole album though, really, I don't know where I put camera. Eye. I'm sure I put that probably maybe the lowest of, I put that 34. Where did I put Witch Hunt? I know I had to have that. I'll put that at 63. Oh, what was that? That should have been higher. (laughs) (laughs) Now you have to write yourself an angry tweet. Yeah, I really should. (laughs) Push myself out. 63. Oh, man. I'm a little embarrassed of that. Either way. Yeah, now that I'm thinking that, though, like, there's just so much stuff, man. It's just impossible to. I put that many Vapor Trail songs ahead of Witch Hunt, though. Oh, this is so. This is painful, guys. <laughs> well, look, we, we agree on one thing is that this is the most difficult thing that any Rush fan can do. Yep. Is put together a list in order of their favorite and not favorite songs. It's hard. It's so hard. And it's weird because I did the same thing. I can't remember how many of these I've done where I've ranked every song. I did one for Yes. And I don't remember having much trouble with that. I feel like it came together pretty quickly. That was after I did the Rush one. And I remember going like, oh boy, like make some time for the don't, don't get over your head. And I remember thinking, no, no, I got this. I kind of like went through pretty quickly. I was very happy with it. I know I looked back fairly recently and thought, yeah, this is, but the rush one though, it's, yeah, I'm looking at it now. It's, it's physically painful. Some of these choices. I'm like, I, I don't know. I don't know why it's more difficult because I also love, yes, it's, we're talking about two of my probably 10 favorite bands, but. Uh, for some reason, this Rush one is so hard. I think it's because they're so consistent. Whereas a band like Yes, to me, when they sort of got outside of their kind of peak, it, it tumbled pretty far in quality. Mm-hmm. But Rush, they're always good. Even Test for Echo, not one of my favorite albums, it's still a good album. It's just so far beneath like a Farewell to Kings or Hemispheres or something to me. Or, you know, so it's like, they were Rush were one of the most consistent bands I think of all time. Like, who was that good consistently for that long? Even on their worst stuff, like the musicianship was always insanely good. Uh, it's just like to me the the songwriting just sometimes was lacking. 
you, you never listen to a Rush song. You're like, oh, they, they, they can't play anymore. Or they're, <laughs> right. or, they're, or they're out of ideas. Yeah, it's just like some of the songs just don't, don't have the spark like the others. Uh, I, just think, I think that's a natural thing too. But, but yeah, from that streak, man, from going to the late 80s and then again, I think the kind of renaissance there at the end too, but just so incredibly consistent. So another article that was recently published on Ultimate Classic Rock was, were Rush better in the 70s or 80s? You contributed to this. Yeah. And you chose the 80s, seems to me, by just a little bit. Yeah. Can you explain your decision there, uh, 80s over 70s? I'm going to Google this. Apologies if you have to cut this out, but <laughs> I want to consult myself and see what I said. Well, you know, I could I could tell you that I was on, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with um, Rush fans on Instagram, the Instagram account. No, I, I barely, barely get on Instagram. Well, they have this they have this video series called the Rush Roundtable, and I was on uh, for a debate seventies versus eighties, and I was on the eighties side as well. Oh, that's good to hear that I'm not alone. But yeah, now I'm looking at it again. I forgot that I took. I've written so many Rush things in the last year. It's <laughs> they almost blur together now. Like forget. Yeah, it's so hard. Oh, it just I think it's like looking at just number of albums, the, the streak from farewell to Kings through really power windows. That's kind of, to me, the, the, the prime era. And I, and I know most people would consider 2112 part of that too, but uh, it's, it's so difficult. I think my top two, God, I don't even know. I'm trying to say what are my top two rush albums, moving pictures, hemispheres, farewell to Kings are definitely the top three. So it's like, you would think I would lean toward the seventies if that's the logic, but the eighties stuff is so consistent to me after that though, except for maybe hold your fire. I really like presto as well. And there's some stuff on there, maybe not as great, but Oh God, if, yeah. It's another thing. If I were to do this again, maybe if I had just been listening just a whole lot to hemispheres that day, like, no, there's no way, man. Seventies it is, but Oh, it's so tough. I think for me, if you're, you're you know putting all the albums on a scale, yeah, you start off the '80s with Permanent Waves, which was recorded in the '70s, late '70s, but still it's an '80s album because it has a, it came out in 1980. Between Permanent Waves, Moving Pictures, Signals, Grace Under Pressure, I mean, how do you what? agree with that? Really, I, I'm almost like forgetting Signals in my head, which is incredible, one of my very favorite albums. Yeah, it's just tough, man. Like, I feel like in the early seven, like in their early days, it's like a lot of it's very formative. And so they hadn't quite found it. And then to me in the 80s, they're just cooking. And yeah, it's, it's interesting because if you, if Permanent Waves had come out in 79, that changes the ball game right there. Right. But with it being 80, that, I think that just kind of tips the scale just slightly. It's so, so close. And I, if I were the normal Rush fan, well, normal, quote unquote, because uh, I don't know what, what Rush fan is normal. But <laughs> it's so true. Yeah. If you were to, if I were had the opinion of probably 80% of Rush fans who think 2112 is just a masterpiece, then it's for sure 70s, I think. But I just don't like 2112 as much as pretty much everybody else. Like I would take, Grace Under Pressure or Power Windows over 2112. I know most people will think I'm insane for saying that, but 
Yeah, I can I could see the emails already on that statement. Oh yeah. <laughs> sure, I've been lit up. I, I now I don't Google anymore because I'm like it's not worth doing. But the, the '80s, man, they're just a sweet spot. I, I love the, the like where a lot of '80s production gets on my nerves and, and feels too clinical and slick mm-hmm. for me. Like a lot of the. The 80s rush stuff it just sounds so good I don't, I don't know i love the production and again they managed to they get more concise and catchy but the musicianship was so strong even still and they're so creative even in these kind of tighter confines i just i love so much of the 80s stuff yeah they're one of the few very few prog bands who were still really good and really innovative in the 80s like they're almost nobody else was able to do that and kind of survive through that change culturally and, and sonically. And those Rush to albums from the 80s still sound incredible. And you can't really say that about a lot of, like, as I'm the big, Genesis is my favorite band of all time, but if you're comparing, like, the, the self-titled Genesis album from 83 versus Power Windows or something, it's like no contest which one sounds better sonically, like, so yeah, I don't know. I think that that kind of helps tip the scale to toward the eighties. Yeah, since you like the uh, prog bands from the seventies, that as they moved on to the eighties, it's interesting that Rush was able to be great in the seventies, great in the eighties, great in the nineties, <laughs> great in the aughts, if you want to call that, and then Clockwork Angels. Yeah, there's really not. I mean, again, nineties for me is the the lowest point. The lowest point, I think most Rush fans, I think, would, well, I don't know. You, know. you can't generalize it all with Rush fans, but, but yeah, they just never, they never sucked ever. You can say that definitively. I think most, Absolutely. there's never like, oh, that's just garbage. They never did that. So, except for, I don't know, the, the first Rush album, I, I never listened to that album. I just, I, I just don't listen to it. To me, it doesn't sound like Rush. It's not really that musically interesting. Uh, to me, it's got some some a couple good jams on it that I think we all enjoy. But once they kind of hit their stride, it's just yeah, it's just smooth sailing, really. Just, you know, a couple little valleys in there. But I mean, who puts out an album? I mean, how many years deep into the, how many decades as good as Clockwork Angels? And for that to be like, it's so amazing to me that that will be their final album. Like if you compare like final albums of these great bands, like I mean, for decades deep, that's just insane to me that they were still that inspired, could play that well, that Getty could sing that well. It's just it's it's amazing. Yeah, because a lot of bands, their final album isn't really a planned final album. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's an album that they put out and then didn't sell, or they were just like, Oh boy, that was not very good, and then they just stop. Yeah. But Rush put out a masterpiece, if you ask me. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's only gotten better for me over time, too. Like, every time I revisit it, I'm like, I forget sometimes. Like, damn, this is so good. It's like, because you tend to just, for me, I like think of the the classics, quote unquote, from the late 70s and 80s. And uh, sometimes I forget how good that album is. And the garden for a final song. I mean, does it get better than the garden oh. for a, a final song for a band ever? So in the lyrics and just, ugh. and knowing of course, what we know now about Neil and just, yeah, it, it's incredible that they were able to go out on such a high. Like 
very, very few bands. Yep. Yeah. Make that claim that they, they went out with one of their best albums that many decades deep. It's not like we're talking about Led Zeppelin or something who the grand scheme is thinking we're talking about a decade with them. We're talking about decades with Rush. So to be that high quality, to still be that great live, just the whole package is just amazing. Yeah, I always say that Headlong Flight is all Rush history in one song. You got the great, you got a great riff, you got a great, great drums, you got a great jam in the middle, great solo. It's a fan. It is the quintessential Rush song to me. It's definitely one of my favorites on that album, too. So, Ryan, on, on November 12th, you published uh, again on Ultimate Classic Rock most overlooked song from each Rush album. And I have to say, I love almost every one of these choices. What would you say is the most overlooked Rush song in their catalog out of these choices you made? I might lean toward the Necromancer just because maybe it's because I don't know a whole lot of Rush fans in real life, but to me, the Crest of Steel in general just doesn't get much love. And I've always found that to be a shame. I would think like if you're a Rush fan, you're probably somewhat into progressive rock. And to me, there's just so much interesting stuff on that album. And yeah, I guess the Necromancer for me might be my pick on that. Uh, just because it's such a, it's an epic. There's some stuff that probably if you were recorded today, maybe you would, you would trim down a little bit or something. I don't know though. It's just such a, it's of its time. It's very of its year, but it's a to me it's a class. I love that album. I feel like no one talks about Caress of Steel. It's like the reviews that I've read and and the commentary I've seen. It doesn't seem like it gets a whole lot of love even among Rush fans. So that would probably be my pick. Well, we did a whole forty five minutes on the Fountain of Lemneth if you want to go back and listen to it. <laughs> right people. So that's my problem. I don't know any Rush fans. I only <laughs> Well now you know us. This is great. Steve, I hate to uh to uh you know not interview our guest, but what do you think the most underrated Rush song in their entire catalog is? I think Ryan's picks were great, and mine would be Cinderella Man, which is the choice you huh. made off of Farewell to Kings. And I love Cinderella Man. I would probably put it in my top 20 if I was ranking the Rush songs. And uh, people forget about that song. It's terrific. Yeah, that, that's actually, that'd probably be number two if I were to narrow down because i love that song too but it's i think i wrote that kind of in my blurb but that there's so much good stuff on a farewell to kings it's just such a masterpiece of an album that i I do think that one gets overshadowed a little bit let me ask you this ryan why do you think it is in the rock journalism community that rush doesn't get much respect you say you don't know any other rush fans so i would imagine you have a lot of colleagues that don't like rush what is it about rush that rock journalists don't like that's the that's the age-old question it seems like i guess it in general it seems like historically once we get past the 70s when when prog went out of fashion most people just thought progressive rock is uncool and i think most music critics also thought prog is uncool and rush are one of those definitive prog bands so it does seem like there is a, a little bit more disdain, I guess, for Rush. To me, Rush seemed like the most popular prog band to this day. Like if you're if you're talking about like active, maybe it's because Rush were active for so long. But 
that does seem like they get a lot of hate. Uh, I actually remember I, I found this so horrifying, but after Neil died there, I saw this, a, a chain of people tweeting about, I'll rush for overrated anyway. And I was like, that's such a terrible timing and just an awful thing to say right now. But yeah, it seems like they get so much. hate. I think it's just residual hatred of, of Prague in general. And I, I mean, I've had so many discussions with other music journalists. No one, I don't know almost any music journalists who like progressive rock. I could probably name two period. So it, it, I think it's just really that. I mean, I, I can't name also anyone who likes Genesis or yes. We have like Pink Floyd. They're still cool, I guess, because it's more psychedelic. So that gets a pass, but things that are based around to some degree having a high level of musicianship, that's still not cool. I feel like it hasn't been cool since punk. Uh, I'm probably mm. being a little bit simplistic in that answer, but there are more factors, but it seems like no one likes it. And or even have yet to like defend your, your level of love of progressive rock, which always pisses me off. And you're sort of looked down on almost for writing about it or considering it in this serious way. So yeah, I think it's just critics hate Prague. You're not cool. Critics are supposed to be cool and Prague's not cool. So therefore Rush is not cool. And so we don't take it seriously. We don't write about it. But I know when, uh, Rolling Stone put put them on the cover. I believe that was when was that? It was five years ago, I think. I was gonna say because that was around the time I. No, that was that was well before I interviewed Getty. But yeah, I remember that was a big deal. Like it was sort of like, oh wow, Rolling Stone interviewed Rush. Are you kidding me? I remember seeing a lot of Rush fans sort of go back and forth on social media between like, well, it's about time, and kind of like an angry reaction, and then wow, thank you for finally recognizing it. So it just sort of confirmed for me, like, yeah, just people, critics just don't give it a lot of respect. And even though Rolling Stone put them on the cover, they they did kind of have a like a mocking title on the cover, right? It was Twilight of the Geek Gods, I think is what it was. That's not good, right? Like why just put them on the cover and write something nice about them on the cover? <laughs> would not have chosen that headline i will say that but yeah maybe that's the other way of sort of yeah i don't know i can't really even justify that i wouldn't have gone with that i think it was their nod to their audience who doesn't like rush to say okay rush is on the cover but wink wink you and i know what we think of rush i remember when that decision was made to put them on the cover because i trying to remember what i wrote around that time that was real. Oh yeah. That was when I did, um, I helped organize this. Uh, it was the 50 best, uh, progressive rock albums for Rolling Stone. I sort of helped put that together and wrote a bunch of the blurbs for that. And that was paired to kind of like when, when they put them on the cover. So it was this like big influx of prog stuff on Rolling Stone. I remember everybody's like, why are they all of a sudden they care about prog? And I was just like, I'm just glad it's happening. That's my, stance on this i'm glad it's they're putting them on the cover that's great yeah we could quibble over the the details of it but hey they're getting on there and yeah i got to contribute to that that list and kind of help put that together so i was jazzed around that time like this is this is amazing it's it's long overdue but it's happening so it seems like there's been a slight kind of revisionist thing in the last several years there was a book I, i haven't read the book can't remember his name David something, I'm blanking, and he wrote a 
a, a book about progressive rock that was, I think, pretty popular. And there were a lot of pieces kind of talking about why is Prague uncool or why do people hate it? And it seems like people are at least kind of reevaluating that whole idea of Prague being this no-no thing. So I hope that continues and I hope people hope that sort of taboo fades over time because it's just, it's so silly. I feel like we've, we had this moment, whatever punk and this new wave and people think Prague is lame. Okay. Ha ha. We're long past that now. It's time to kind of retire that. So, yeah. So Ryan, let's fast forward 50 years. (laughs) Seriously. How do you think Rush will be remembered 50 years from now? They will for sure be remembered as one of the elite progressive rock bands. I think it's Genesis. Yes. Rush. To me, those are going to be remembered as the, the Holy Trinity. I think, I think that's how people will ultimately look back on it. The level of musicianship in that band is just so staggering. I don't, I don't know how you can't at least respect that. I don't know if people will always respect the songwriting. Neil's lyrics set them apart, I think. Uh, there are a lot of... I, mean, I was writing this about this the other day, but Billy Corgan of Smashing Pumpkins, you guys probably seen his comments on, on Rush and... There are a lot of people that Rush inspired who may not be super obvious on the surface. And so I, I think that might come into play too. Maybe there'll be people who are inspired and influenced by Rush who aren't even into it necessarily for the musicianship. Maybe you know, Neil's lyrics and other elements of the band will, will influence people. So I, I definitely think they're going to be considered one of the elite progressive rock bands. Maybe they're never going to escape that bubble. I don't know. I think that's a shame. Uh, there are people I think who who aren't really prog people. I don't know how huge of fans you guys are, or just of other progressive rock in general, but uh, they they seem to transcend that a little bit. Uh, where people who aren't necessarily into the other proggy bands also like Rush, so uh, that might even position them even higher than you know a band like Yes or Genesis or so. Who knows? I, I think that they're definitely always going to be considered right there toward the top. And, you know, maybe they're going to be considered one of the elite classic rock quote unquote bands of all time too, when it's kind of all said and done. Yeah. The, the interesting thing to me is that I, if we're going to go by classifications, I don't really see rush being prog past hemispheres. Really? I mean, sure. The songs, you know, like this, just take permanent waves. Songs are a little long, five minutes or so couple of them are longer but do you think that songs you know like free will are strictly progressive rock that's an interesting one because it's i've had a conversation like that a while back and it was a friend of mine yeah because she doesn't really understand what progressive rock means and she was what explain this to me what what is it what what what's the checklist that makes it prog Mm -hmm. like that's a very abstract question but a good question is like i feel like it's a judgment call you know it when you hear it I almost think you get your sort of prog card after a certain point. And it's almost like everything is like, if we take a revisionist view, everything is sort of looked at as prog. If you do a certain amount of it, if you, if you play like, if you, if you do 2112 and you do hemispheres and you do these, these epics and, and you have a really high level of you know, musical ability, then you're sort of always looked at as prog. In some ways I think people don't like that if you're in the middle of it. That's, that's a good question because, yeah, a song like Free Will, that's, would you really call that prog? I don't know. I mean, I had to listen to, maybe there's some interesting time signatures in that song I can't recall off the top of my head, but 
it's a pretty punchy rock song. So did, would that really qualify? But I think if you surround some of those songs with just enough of the, the kind of proggy stuff, it flies. I think the description flies. And then obviously they're you know, still playing a lot of the, the progressive stuff on stage, you know, even throughout their career. So I think that keeps it going. I mean, like band like Genesis too, it's another band that sort of, you look at the 80s stuff, is that really like the self-titled Genesis album from 83? That's, there's not a whole lot of prog on there. I was going to mention them because back in the 70s, they were as, as proggy and crazy as any proggy crazy band. Yeah. You know, but then, you know, you have a song like Misunderstanding from the 80s. I mean, that's not a prog song. <laughs> Nowhere near it. But that's a, that's a good example too, because that album was from the album Duke. I see it behind you. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's a that's one of those. To me, that's we're almost getting into like progressive pop. I have so much fun dissecting this stuff, by the way. So this is so much fun for me because, like, yeah, probably half that album. It almost sounds like it could be a Phil Collins solo track, solo mm. album, and then the other half still has some of those prog trappings. So it's like, yeah, where do you draw the line? Where does it stop being prog? And a lot of I'm a member of a bunch of progressive rock Facebook groups and the people will, it's interesting to see the comments. Um, I'm in one that's a, as prog collectors shout out to those, to those guys and people just post their prog vinyl mainly. And it's really fun and, and nerdy and awesome. And people will just debate in the comment section, whether what is Duke really prog is, is Abacab really prog? And the, the yeah, the discussions on that are, are fascinating. A lot of people, a lot of prog fans will just, they don't listen to anything recorded past you know, 1980. I'm one of those people who loves it all. I love the pop stuff. I love the prog. I just can't get enough of it. A friend of ours, Lex, he does our theme songs. I was talking to him about music, like saying this band was better than that band or whatever. And he was quiet. And then he kind of looked at me and said, you know, arguing about which band is better than another is kind of like arguing about what your favorite color is. <laughs> and I've never forgotten that. And ever since then, I've been like, yeah. I mean, I will talk to people about, I don't like this band. I don't like that band. But hey, man, like what you like. I like that idea. Orange is the best. Yeah. <laughs> Cerulean blue, man. That's where it's at. You're out of your mind if you don't understand. Why. How did he rank purple ahead of red? What is wrong Guys. with him? <laughs> Only the warm colors. I'm not into this cool stuff. <laughs> antique white above white really come on how pretentious is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> well one thing we can agree on i know jerry and i agree that we are big fans of your work ryan i love it appreciate it. when i go on google and i see another ultimate classic rock by ryan reed pop up on my feed i'm very happy well that means a lot i never get any kind of feedback at all from anyone who is not on my Facebook feed or my family. So that, man, that's, that's, that really does mean a lot. I appreciate that. And you know what? When we finally finish our 167 song list, we'll send them to you. Oh, please do. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll record my own response to you guys. <laughs> I can't say that we'll be, uh, you know, the descriptions will be as well-written as yours, but we'll give it a shot. I appreciate it. I'll just be excited to read it again. I just think it's so fun that when anyone ranks a band that I love like this and they're that passionate about someone like, bro, that's just, to me, that's the most important thing. And we should all 
unite in our, in our passion. Absolutely. Celebrate it. Well, thanks for joining us today on the Rush Fancast, Ryan. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, guys. So, Jared, that was fantastic. I wasn't kidding. I really have been looking forward to having Ryan on the podcast for a long time. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to talk about the list. And not, not to drag him because of the list, but because it's an insanely crazy thing to even attempt. Yeah. And the thing is, if we had made the list and published the list, we'd be getting vilified too, because we would yep. make choices that people wouldn't agree with. You know, people just like what they like and they don't like to bend sometimes on their preferences. What are you going to do? You're not going to do anything. But you know, when we make our list, which we will do someday. See, I don't know if I want to do, I don't think I want to do 167 songs. I'm willing to do a top 20, a top 10, and maybe even a bottom 10. I don't think I want to deal with all the songs in the middle. It's too hard. Well, what if we, what if we did, you know, my, I'm not kidding when I said like, um, I think I said I have like 80 songs that I love. That's true. It might even be a hundred that I could just rattle off as loving, Mm -hmm. you know I mean? Like some of my favorite songs. And then the bottom, I don't know, 10 or 20. What if we just took all the rest in the middle, threw them in a hat and picked them at random? I mean, it would be the same thing. We could do it, really. We could do that and it, and it would piss off just as many people. <laughs> right. It's true. What if that's what we did for the whole list? <laughs> that's a great idea. Just randomly rank the Rush songs, one through 167, and that's the list. Right. Pick them out of a hat or a fishbowl like it's a... Uh, you know, the, the hunger games and we'll just have this, this, this list and we'll see if people agree or disagree. Some people are going to love it and some people are going to hate it. I can't wait to do this. I think that's what we should do. That's what we should do. It's a perfect idea. Yeah. Now I spoiled it though. Now everyone knows that's what we're going to do. <laughs> However, oh I have one caveat. Okay. If Ty Shan is picked number one, we have to move it to a different spot. <laughs> Well, look, either we're going to stick to this plan and we're not. If Ty Shan's number one, Ty Shan is number one. <sighs> All right. All right. You can find us on Twitter at Rush Fancast. Instagram, we are The Rushcast. Email Jerry. Beat him up about his list before he even writes it at therushcast at gmail.com. The bass intro done by Lex and the quote given to us by Jerry. What you got? In honor of the number one song on Ryan's list, I figured that I would quote from... Tom Sawyer. Nice. A modern day warrior. Mean, mean stride. Today's Tom Sawyer. Mean, mean pride. Nice. Thanks, Jer. Thank you, Steve. Take it easy. Mm-hmm.